All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on this week's Sixers Beat, part of the CLNS Media Network. We have your forty-nine and thirty Philadelphia 76ers to talk about, and if I only ta- if I only frame it like that, it might almost be a positive. How you doing, Rich? Catch the fever, man. I, I'm yeah. swept up in this team right now. The uh, I will say uh, the Bucks game last night was well, even though the Sixers lost, and I think you know people are grumpy because of that. I thought grumpy. that was a f- well, they, they lost. You know, they weren't happy. Might be a little more than grumpy, I would say. Yeah. Okay, but but if you step back and look at it, that was a fun game that they lost to a really good team, and they didn't have Jimmy Butler either, too. So I, I think that was okay. The first two games this week, that at Dallas, which I was. I was at, and then at Atlanta, which mercifully I was not at, uh, those were as bad as, they might've been worse than those process games at the end of the year, because at least the process games, like they were, the goal was to lose and, and develop these young players. I mean, this is a team that has a couple all-stars just not giving a shit. It was awful, man. And also those those process teams at least tried hard. Yeah. No, this was no effort at all. And yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a weird situation we're in now where it, you kind of have to evaluate the game in terms of their effort level. Do they give a crap? And I think, you know, for those two games, the answer was certainly no. They, they gave a crap last night and they lost. And I'm not sure what they're going to do for games 80, 81, and 82. No, they are in a really weird spot. Uh, You know, I guess where we'll start off, because this kind of dovetails then into everything else going on with this team. James Ennis re-aggravated his his right quad contusion and will be re-evaluated in two weeks. Now, that's re-evaluated in two weeks. It's not playing in two weeks. He might play in two weeks. He might not. We don't know. So for a team that, you know, we've talked about this before, but this is a team that really has maybe two guys who can play game in and game out, matchup independent off of the bench. And now that they're good bench players, certainly not for the role that you would ask them to fill, but you can at least count on their skill sets being viable each and every night out. Doesn't mean they're going to play well each and every night out, but their skill sets will at least be viable. And that is Mike Scott and James Ennis. So now you've lost one of those two options. You have to fill those minutes and rely on somebody that you haven't relied upon all season, which puts them in a really interesting spot, right? So we're sitting there. We know James Ennis isn't going to be in the rotation. Who are they going to turn to? And all of a sudden, it's game 79 in the regular season (laughs) against the best team in the league record-wise, certainly the best team in terms of talent and play in the Eastern Conference. And you look up and there's Shake Milton, two-way contract, 54th pick in the NBA draft. Zaire Smith, who two months ago, we weren't sure if he was truly alive because of a food allergy, lost, what was it, 45 pounds? Was on a feeding food tube for easy, two months. Easy, it was 40. 40, sorry about that. On a feeding tube for two months, was on a, in a hospital bed for six weeks, started playing what, like three weeks ago, four weeks ago in the G League. He's now playing first quarter minutes along with Shake Milton. You have two big lineups now, which the Sixers haven't wanted to do all season. Certainly since the Tobias Harris trade, they've avoided two 
big lineups, but you have Boban out there next to, or I'm sorry, Bolden out there next to Joel Embiid. And everything that this team looked like they were trying to establish, and it's tough because they've starting lineup, as Brett Brown will constantly say, as we'll constantly say, has only played 10 games together. You know, they've, I think in this time they've missed now 13 or 14, they've played 10. Hashtag not great. But they've been trying to fast track sort of this cohesiveness by running out their three pretty rigid lineups. In the starting lineup, the Tobias Harris, Jimmy Butler lineup, and then the Embiid, Redick, and Simmons lineup. And now you look up and all hell is breaking loose. You have no idea what these lineups are. You have no idea who these players, I mean, we know who they are in theory, but like they haven't been, like Shake Milton has like 180 minutes of playing experience in the NBA. Zaire Smith, much less than that. And all of a sudden they're playing meaningful minutes against Boston or against the Milwaukee Bucks in game 79, where they theoretically are trying to win because they want to secure that theoretically secure that third seed. And it's just like, what the hell is going on? And more importantly, what the hell are you going to do in the playoffs where James Ennis is not going to be available? The depth on the free agent market isn't there. And you might have to play Zaire Smith or convert Shake Milton's contract to a standard NBA contract because he might be playing NBA minutes in the playoffs. The whole thing is so crazy, man. It's it's insane. I you know I, we were sitting there watching the game last night, and you know while all these fireworks were going on, while Embiid got Bledsoe kicked out of a game. Who's who's left for him, by the way? Uh, he's gotten Smart kicked out. He's gotten Bledsoe kicked out. Is, is like Lowry the only person he needs to get to get the set La- of? Lowry certainly seems like the most logical next step. Yes. Yeah. Well, that would be that would be big because they're probably well. We'll see. They might play them in the second round. That would be Joel's uh, Mona Lisa if he could get that done. <laughs> but going back to the the rotation, while that crazy first half and it is going on, and Giannis is dunking, and you know all, all hell is breaking loose out in the floor, I, we're sitting there, and I'm talking, I'm talking to you, and saying, I cannot believe this rotation right now. It's game seventy nine, and like you said. Shake Milton is the first wing off the bench. Now, I, I think one thing that, to be fair to the Sixers, Jimmy Butler did not play last night. We expect him to be back by the playoffs, even though I don't think they said too much about that injury. But it doesn't seem like that's going that back uh, issue is going to keep him out when the games really start to matter. So instead of Shake and Zaire, it'll probably be one of the two. Right. That said. Why is Shake playing if he's the first wing off the bench? Right. Uh, why, why is he playing if you if Brett says every time he's not eligible for the playoffs? I'm sorry, we 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 can't play him. Then why are you playing him now? Then right, you know James Ennis is going to be out for I don't know it, two weeks would put it game three or game four of the first round probably, and that's the best case scenario. You have Jonathan Simmons just collecting DNPCDs like like it's his job, and like you said, I, you know, Zaire he had that tough uh, tough miss layup that really kind of helped swing the game. It was a five point swing, but for having no idea what he's doing out there, and by the way, rightfully so. Like you said, he went through just an extraordinary ordeal earlier this year. The, the fact that he's playing is an accomplishment in its in uh, in itself. But for having no idea, I thought he played pretty well. There's no way he should be playing. 
And last week, even Brett Brown was asked, Hey, what do you think about Shaker Zaire come playoff time? And he says, I don't think either of them can play. And that's when he started saying, you know, Shake is not eligible. And I don't think that would be fair to Zaire. And, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but that's kind of what he was saying. Well, guess what? One injury to James Ennis. And now they, one of those two is absolutely going to have to get playoff minutes. And it's, it's madness, man. So if you're not going to play Jonathan Simmons, and you're not going to convert Shake Milton's contract to a standard NBA contract so he could be eligible for the playoffs, then why is he playing? Like, Zaire should be getting virtually all of those minutes so you can, you know, cram him and get him up to speed as quickly as possible. It's not going to work. You can't you can't fast-track a year and a half, two years' worth of development that you would need in Zaire to sort of be to the point where it would be fair to put him in a playoff environment, but you can at least get him some sort of exposure heading into the playoffs. So think about Zaire, by the way. He was a project before all of this stuff right, happened this right. year. It's crazy. Or you should be converting Shake Milton's contract to a, a standard NBA contract so that you can play him in the playoffs. Like, and I get like maybe they're negotiating that. Maybe there's, you know, maybe Shake and his 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 agent don't want to convert that. Maybe the Sixers don't want to give up that year of control they could have by signing him in the summer instead of signing him now. Like, there might be reasons. But you're at the point where Shake either needs to be converted or those minutes need to go to Zaire or you have to, you know, and I don't I don't have a name right now, or you have to look through the waiver wire, pick somebody up, find somebody that was playing in the G League that you, you can sign for the rest of something because you have nothing. Like, you have nothing. And Greg Monroe, he ain't fixing that problem. Um, it, whew, they're, they're in a real weird spot. I, I guess, what would you do, Rich? Who would you play? Oh, I would convert Shake's contract and play him. Yeah, and I, I do wonder the, the Monroe signing was so weird and just seems so unnecessary that I wonder if there's a corresponding move coming. And maybe they like him more than one of the other centers. Maybe they like him more than Amir. I I don't know. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to carry five centers three of whom I'm not sure can play in a playoff series. No, they can't. Nope. Two of them definitely can't play in a playoff series, and that's Monroe who, who, and, and Amir. I was going to say, who's the one who maybe could? I, I was going to say Bolden. Depending, I, depending I was gonna on say, the play. Yeah, maybe Boban, maybe Bolden. I, maybe they're kind of like a half, uh, each of them. Boban can play against some of the, the better matchups, and Bolden, again, I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I do not trust his decision making at all. Uh, no, but I, I would probably. I mean, <laughs> of the four that I don't want to play, I would probably. I mean, we had Mike on last week talking about this. You know, I would probably right now just trend towards small ball, or at least I would when we had the wing depth to do that. But I would probably trend towards small ball and Mike Scott and Ben Simmons at the five. But if I had to play one of those four centers, who I don't necessarily think you would want to play it would probably be Bolden because at least he has a chance. Yeah. And to, so to get back to your question, I would convert Shake's contract. And that is not an, uh, it's not a vote of confidence for Shake more than what we've kind of just been talking about is that this is an emergency. You cannot, you cannot waste playoffs runs, you know, by trying to get an extra year of control on Shake Milton or, or whatever the reason. So, Yes, I would I would cut one of the centers or 
Yeah, I, I would cut one of the centers and then I would sign Shake. I I guess the one guy that we have to mention technically is that I, I know the uh, the cork man is working out now. What are you going to do? He wasn't playing well when he was in there. And like Brett didn't always trust him. He didn't trust his defense. And you're just going to throw him cold off a, off a meniscus surgery in the playoffs? I, so, yes, I would. Uh, I, I think Shake has the highest upside as just like a shot maker and a guy who can do a little bit off the bounce. So, yes, I would, I would convert his contract. You wonder if, if they knew that the best they would get off the, I'll call it the buyout market, after the post-trade deadline free agency market was Greg Monroe if they would have handled that Markel Fultz trade a little bit differently. like And, you know, I think some people covered it as if Jonathan Simmons was a real legitimate rotation piece. And I think we were a little more like, no, they did this for the cap space, for the draft picks. And they're sort of punting on a real, at least reliable contributor. And, I mean, he just, he, uh, I, I don't know what was out there. You know, maybe there's been the rumors that the Magic gave the Sixers the options of Ross or um, or Simmons in the picks. But the Magic are making a playoff run. I could see if, if, if they wanted to keep Ross for that run. You know, Garrett Temple was always a name that I thought was really intriguing. But you don't know what else, who was interested in Markell and would have given up a real rotation piece. But make no mistake, the Sixers very much did make that trade for the cap relief, for the draft picks, um, the top 20 protected first, and then the uh, Cleveland second this year. It was it was an early second this year. And you just wonder if they would have, knowing how the buyout market unfolded, if they would have gone about that a little bit differently, and if they should have gone about that a little bit differently. I said at the time that I was surprised. I thought they would go more for a contributor then for draft assets, uh, and to be honest, I think they they probably should have. And it's not just like it's not just for this season. You know, if they would have acquired, well, I'll put out Garrett Temple as a name. I don't know if he would, like I said, if he was a realistic option. But you also get the bird rights for if you're an over the cap team to bring him back. I mean, it's just these having an, another contributor these next not only these next few months but these next couple of years would have been real nice because whew, they are and and I mean we're seeing the uh, the effects of it where if they're one man short in the wing rotation there there feels like they're screwed yeah that's a great point you made about having the the bird rights because you know if they resign all of these guys they are going to be an over the cap team and as we're seeing right now their their depth is just garbage just awful uh i think they really thought boban would play and contribute i think they really <sighs> thought tj mcconnell would be a reliable playoff backup point guard well, at least they've acted like that over the last couple of months. Well, and they're just they're ill prepared to make a playoff run with that depth. Well, well, Brett, I think it was in Dallas. He was saying, you know, when it comes to the bench, I think that our question marks are at the one and the five. Where what do you what, what do you do? Do you uh, do you play Jimmy the you know the entire second quarter and kind of give him TJ's minutes? And maybe they still do that. I and, think they have to, and, yeah, and kind of phase him out. I well. Do they? Because at well, some point, well, TJ's going to have to play. Like if if James Ennis isn't available, and they they are going to have to play. Uh, I don't know. It's two hundred forty minutes or whatever it is. I I was just to, about to amend it that that's what I would have done before the Ennis injury. Oh yeah, definitely. But now I have no idea what they're going to do. And 
you know, we, we talk all the time about how uh, we're worried about TJ's spacing problems in the playoffs, but I, at some point he's an NBA player and they, they just don't have any on the, oh, no. on the bench. The so, problem right now isn't so much playing TJ McConnell. It's that you have to play TJ McConnell. Yeah. You have to, yeah. The <laughs> This is a real chipper podcast let me let me tell you it right now well they didn't give a shit for a week and then they lost a game where they shot like 50 percent from three so that's fair know. uh but yeah that was brett's thing he was like I, and then what do you do with the five do you play bobon or bolden or do you go small and then he says he goes i do feel good about the two through four spots though with with james ennis and all these guys oops uh, <laughs> yeah and i mean it's just it's bad timing that the Ennis injury and that, that stinks. I feel, I feel for them a little bit, but on the other hand, when you don't have any depth at all, and it's just a disaster after you get past your eighth guy, I I mean, you, you're putting yourself in this spot where you need just perfect health to get through the playoffs. And I don't know. It's, yeah, it stinks. I mean, when the, James uh, Ennis missing two weeks causes a panic, there you you cannot say more about the lack of depth than that. Like James Ennis should not cause panic. That should just not be where you're left with if he goes down with a two week injury. But they rely when, on James Ennis. And when Mike Scott, when he is your best player off the bench, Mike Scott, who is just as liable to go. 0 for 6 and miss a couple defensive assignments. Yep. It's like a little bit of a problem. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. We, so. we talk about Mike Scott and James Ennis like they're, you know, high-level bench players. No, they're just competent. And boy, does that a stark contrast to what else they have. Um, I mean, this is a bottom five bench in the league, and I say that very conservatively. Like, it's probably worse than that. And we're talking about this team as if they should be beating Boston and Milwaukee and Toronto in a playoff run. And it's just... All right, so moving on to what, a more... Do we have a more? I guess Greg Monroe, just real quick. How do you get another center who can't play in the playoffs? Like, this is a position, because the power forward spot has been relegated to another wing position, there is an overabundance of centers available for, you know, one starting spot, maybe two spots off when you consider off the bench for a team. This is a, 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 a this is why you can't give big money outside of more than a couple of centers to a center. This is why replacement level for a center is so high, because there's a, an overabundance of them. And the Sixers now have used up, Four of their roster spots, four of their 15 roster spots on centers who cannot play in the playoffs. It just, it boggles my mind. Look, we can get into, well, is he a better option than Justin Patton in the playoffs? Okay, that's fine. In a vacuum, that's not a bad move. Even though I I, I would almost argue that it's more likely that Greg Monroe will cause you problems in the playoffs than Justin Patton because Brett Brown will actually be tempted to play him. <laughs> and playing Greg Monroe in the playoffs is not something I'm comfortable with. Whereas I was confident that Brett Brown wasn't going to be playing Justin Patton. Yeah. So he might actually be more damaging. J- Justin but- Patton didn't, Brett didn't see him 
play Joel Embiid well for like four minutes in game two right, of last year's right. playoffs. So how how did this team end up with four centers that you can't play in the? It just it boggles my mind. And look, everyone says Greg Monroe's a great guy. That's great. They already had a veteran leader in at the center spot in Amir Johnson. I don't think Greg Monroe's veteran leadership is going to make a huge difference over the next three weeks. Hopefully more, but with the way this team is playing, who knows? <sighs> you couldn't have found somebody in the G League who could, I don't know, rim run, play a little bit of interior defense, shoot beyond 15 feet, uh, maybe a perimeter defender. There wasn't somebody coming off of a G League season you could take a shot at. <sighs> I don't know. This roster is just so imbalanced and it, it, it drives me insane. Yeah, I mean, touting Greg Monroe's veteran leadership. I I don't know Greg Monroe, but you already have a mirror. What what is the? You you can't just keep filling up the back end of the roster with veteran leaders. I mean, when you say veteran leader, you mean guy who cannot play. That's what I. That's what I hear. Uh, yeah, and and you said it. Has there? We were talking about this a little bit last night. Has there ever been a player who? Uh, has kind of illustrated how the game has changed more than Greg Monroe in no, the past no. five years. I mean, no. that guy was like a borderline max player, I don't know, 2013, 14. And now we're talking about him as this ridiculous scrap heap signing in 2019. Yep. Uh, all right, before, uh, before we move on to the rest of the season and what they'll play, a quick word from Bet Online. Final Four weekend is upon us, and it's another huge month in sports across the NBA and NCAA. There's only one place to get in on all this action, betonline.ag. Support Sixers Beat by going to clnsmedia.com slash sixersbeat and use promo code CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus. Now you can go online and use your mobile phone to sign up at betonline.ag, where you can try in-game live betting and where you can participate with all the action with every play. Once again, use promo code CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus. That's CLNS50 for a 50% sign-up bonus. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. All right, so moving on to the end of the regular season. The last... That was a heck of a read by you, by the way. Hey, I got through it once without completely screwing up. As um, I am a, very proud of myself, yes. Just a peek behind the curtain. Sometimes it takes them more than one time. And you uh, and usually, if I'm being honest, I pre-record it and then just drop it in because I don't want to have to screw with this while we're trying to talk about basketball. That was that was one shot, everybody. That was one shot. Anyway, now that now that I'm done bragging about something that should be ridiculously easy, <laughs> the end of the regular season, which should be ridiculously easy, um, folks. That's called a transition. You know, the Sixers have what they have: the Bulls twice. And the Heat once. That should be... You, the Sixers need one win to... Well, one win or one Pacers loss to finish above he- them in the playoffs and clinch a top four seed. They need some combination of two wins and two Celtics losses to secure the third seed. With that remaining schedule, that should be relatively easy. But this is a team that very recently lost to the Dallas Mavericks and the Atlanta Hawks twice. So who knows? More to the point, do they want to win and secure that third seed? Of course, winning that that third seed gets them a matchup with possibly the Detroit Pistons, 
but also possibly the Brooklyn Nets or the Orlando Magic in the first round, maybe the Miami Heat as well. And then in the second round, if they have the third seed, they're going to get the Toronto Raptors, assuming they take care of business in the second round, which to me almost seems like, and, and with all due respect to the Milwaukee Bucks, because I think the Bucks, the Bucks are far and away the best team in the Eastern Conference. With all due respect to the Bucks, the Sixers match up so poorly with the Raptors, that's almost like a doomsday scenario for me. That's probably the one I would have the least amount of confidence that the Sixers would able be able to pull out a victory in a series against. So the question becomes, do they want to fall down to four, get that four to five matchup, preferably with the Pacers, and then have the Bucks in the second round? So you had the numbers in your piece today. And the the Bucks and or the Celtics and the Pacers play each other tonight, so we'll have a little more clarity on that. But if the Sixers and the Celtics and the Pacers end up in a three way tie, basically the order would go, and the way this is determined is common record amongst or record amongst common opponents in that tie. So the Sixers would end up being four and four against the Pacers and the Celtics, for example, and you would compare that to the Celtics record against the Sixers and the Pacers and the Pacers record against the Celtics and the Sixers. And the way it would shake out is that the Celtics would end up with the third seed, the Sixers in the fourth seed, and the Pacers in the fifth seed, which is the perfect scenario. That is that is what you would want. There is, of course, still a possibility that the Celtics could fall to five and the Sixers end up at four. And that's a worst-case scenario. I don't think anybody is rooting for, at least anybody with the Sixers, is rooting for that first-round Celtics-Sixers matchup. So I guess the question is, do you... Play out and try to secure that third seed. Do you try to fall back and get that optimal Pacers matchup in the first round and avoid the Raptors in the second round? Or do you just sort of like play out how you normally would and let the chips fall where they may? It's a great question. Uh, I, I do not know w- what they're thinking. I think if if you let them pick, you know, if you let them kind of order the three teams the way they want, they'd want... Um, if I were them, at least, I would pick Boston three, them four, and Indy five for all the reasons you said. They play Indy pretty well. That's not like, for at least the Sixers, I don't think it's that's so much tougher than Detroit or Brooklyn or Orlando. And then, like you said, um, as good as Milwaukee is, and they deserve all the respect in the world, they, they've been the best team in the NBA this season. The Sixers, they match up better, I think, against them than Toronto. Uh, they're, you know, I know Giannis has a million points every time they play against the Sixers, but he needs to score a million points to barely beat them or lose to them. So I, I think if they got in a series, again, I would not pick the Sixers to win against the Bucks, but I would have more confidence that they could make it competitive and maybe steal it. Um. So the big game is tonight, and I don't know if you're going to get this out by uh, by that time, but the big game tonight is Boston at Indiana. And so that's kind of a win-win for the Sixers in that one of those teams has to lose, and, and they'll get to see. Now, I, I think the their motivations and how they handle those last three games is more interesting if Boston wins tonight. Because then, if Boston wins, like you said, Indy cannot catch them. They they own the tiebreaker against them. So at worst, they'll be the four seed playing against Indiana. Which, again, is what I said that they would want. Um, and those last 
three games, though, I they're playing the Bulls twice. The Bulls are tanking, man. They are. That is a total process lineup. So much so that Jakar is on the team right now. I didn't even know that until I looked at the uh, at their box score the other day. Uh, love Jakar, by the way. So I I don't know because we talked about this last night. They uh they sit Joel Embiid out for a week, and then he plays one of the most intense kind of scary games in terms of his injuries that we've seen in a while. He uh he plays 37 minutes and is guarding Giannis and and running up and down the floor. He tweaks an ankle going for a uh, a chase down block. I I think that'll probably be okay, but and then he falls on his freaking tailbone it looked like after after Giannis gets the block on him. And we're sitting there like, oh man, I I don't know what you do with him. I don't know what combination of of playing him in these games and keeping him fresh. I, I don't know. There are other guys on the team that they absolutely need to sit. And the key one is J.J. Redick, I would sit him for at least two of these games. He is. I, I get that he's playing great and you want him in a rhythm, but to me, rest for him is really important. And Brett kind of said it after the game, like, I'm worried about you know working him too hard and uh, although he's playing well so I I don't know I think the big thing for me is if Indiana wins tonight you just have to beat the Bulls tomorrow night like just have to do it you as much as you don't want to play Toronto in the second round I I want no parts of Boston in the in the first round. in the first round yeah but if Boston wins then I think it becomes kind of an interesting conversation which I mean can you imagine if they went into the playoffs losing six in a row, uh, five or four of which are to Dallas, Atlanta, and the Bulls twice? Uh, right. Like, yeah. they would be completely – I, I was they thinking would, about this today. Go ahead. Tom Haberstroh wrote an article on uh, how momentum into the playoffs isn't really a thing. They would really be testing that theory. <laughs> they would be pushing the limits of that yeah. thing, man. Uh I was kind of thinking about how different this was than last year. I think the only positive right now is that Joe and looks like he's going to be available for the first round of the playoffs. And even then, like he's dealing with this nagging left knee tendonitis. So it's not, it's not great either. But I mean, last year, God, they were playing unbelievable. And Simmons was emerging and, Bellinelli and Reddick were making threes. Bellinelli was making threes like on his back uh, consistently. And they they were just playing great basketball. And this is the exact opposite. Yeah. And and look, you know, we, I, we, but, but like just, just to get to the point about like, like you said, the Haberstow article, it, they have p- players that are more equipped to play in the playoffs, we think now with Butler and Tobias Harris. So. In that sense, it would be a pretty interesting experiment because they'll have no momentum, but it seems like they'll have the skill set to kind of turn it on potentially. We, you know, we sort of laughed at some of the national media who made such a big deal over Bellinelli and Ilyasova and the loss of those guys. Um, You know, in part, that was with the expectation that they would do better in the the buyout market and in terms of trading for depth. And they sort of did the opposite where they traded for talent. 
And Bellinelli, you know, there's one thing you want to talk about how well Bellinelli and Ilyasova played down the stretch. That's fine. They certainly gave them a boost. In terms of the quality of the players, Bellinelli specifically, uh, that was not going to be a hard, hard, hard person to replace. Like what you would have projected for Bellinelli this year wasn't anywhere near what you got from him last year. So you don't worry too much about that. But, I mean, Ilyasova would be a superstar compared to what they have right now off the bench. He certainly is a loss. And the Sixers right now just have so many different competing, conflicting interests. You know, it's like, okay, you want to get as much time with the starting lineup as you can going in the playoffs. So they feel comfortable. They know where each other is going to be. The communication is there. And they're not there. And we're going to say it a lot. And Brett Brown's going to say it a lot. And it's true. But by the same token, you want them to be healthy going into the playoffs. And Joel Embiid, I mean, the fact that he finished that game was a minor miracle, Like, but he's between the, the ankle and the back and the knee. You've got that to worry about. You've got Butler's back to worry about. You've got J.J. Redick, who just you know has to work so hard to get every shot that he tends to get worn down at this time of the year. There are so many different competing, conflicting interests of this team, and I think the way that they're looking at it now is, okay, we've got 10 games under our belt with the starting lineup together. When they've been on the court, they've played pretty well. Not at their peak, especially defensively. I feel like they've got a lot of room they could grow, but how much would 13 games with that lineup, how much would you really grow with those extra three games or four games or five games? And I think that's probably the question they're asking themselves. Like we can make real legitimate progress in the health and the, um, you know, and, and, and in the readiness of our players physically for the playoffs, we can't probably make too much inroads in terms of, you know, them looking like a team that's played together for three years. There's just no way to really expedite that to a meaningful degree in this short of amount of time. And it's tough because, like, I think I think that 10 games thing is a real problem, you know, especially defensively and especially in transition. I feel like that's where a lot of these miscommunications really become obvious. And it's a real legitimate concern. Like, this is a team, a, a team of individuals more than it is a team. And I don't mean that, like, in a ball hogging sort of sense, but just that they don't, there's no familiarity there. There's, they don't know what they're going to do. They don't know what each other is going to do. And that makes it a lot more difficult. And it's like, if you want confidence going into the playoffs, you're going to rely almost entirely on that eight and two record. And like that monstrous plus 22 net rating when the starters are on the court, you can be like, okay, look, they're not going to miss games in, in the playoffs. They're not going to, you know, they're going to be playing 38 plus minutes per night. Whether you want them to or not, they have to at this point. So that is going to allow them to succeed even in spite of, and and they're not going to, you know, have games weeks even where they don't give a shit. So we're going to rely on that to carry them to levels that they're not achieving right now. And there might be some truth to that. I would prefer it if there was anyone on this roster and I'm going to say this without looking it up, but among the t- core players, I know it to be true, who have advanced beyond the Eastern Conference se- or the Conference semifinals. Like if they had a history of being able to turn it on in the playoffs, and Butler sort of gets this rap and he's never really done it, which I find interesting. I don't know what his, his playoff numbers are, but his team success has never elevated beyond that of a, a second round series. But they just, you would have more confidence in them being able to do so if they had actually done so in the past. And that's not entirely fair, right? Because it's only Joel Embiid's second time in the playoffs. It's only Ben Simmons' second time in the playoffs. But there's just, like, how are you going to be like, I know they can flip a switch when they've never really flipped a switch before? You don't. And 
but that's where we are. And, you know, the more I'm thinking about it, um, I, I really think they should be looking at just health here. If they, if they completely punt it on these last couple of games and, you know, maybe they win one anyway against Chicago because they're, they're trying just as hard to lose. That's fine, but it would be uh, real hard. <laughs> I mean, it would be an accomplishment if they could lose out. Yeah. So I, the more I think about it, I, I would just, I'd look at Embiid. Embiid said after last night's game that he doesn't know, you know, if he's going to play on this trip or how much he's going to play. I, I would say for most of these guys, I'd like to see them play at least one more time because I, maybe that final game. Yeah. Because you do need to stay in somewhat of a rhythm. Uh, but like I, I said to you last night, Redick for me, I'm sitting him twice this week, uh, and letting him recoup. Remember how good he was after, uh, after he had that week off where he was, he was sick and got uh, a plan night off. I, I think that could do, do wonders for him. And Butler, I would let sit too because I, you know, I don't want that back uh, acting up. Because guess what, man? Guess what, big boy? When the playoffs come around, you're playing forty minutes a night at least. Uh, and you know, we we spent the first fifteen minutes of this podcast talking about how poor the wing depth is behind you. So we're gonna need you, man. Uh, yeah, the, the, they can bring in Tibbs to be a consultant. Sure. Yeah, he'll give you the uh, the minute plan for Jimmy. So, yeah, I think that's kind of where they are. S- sneaky thing from last night's game, it kind of got a little bit sw- swept under the rug, I you think. going to Ben? A little worried about Ben against the good yeah. teams, man. He, he, so it's one thing, you know, you've got the offense and what I think he ended up with like five shots. But the Sixers didn't fail last night because of offense. He got abused by Giannis. And that's two games in a row where he's really... Giannis just takes it to him. Like there's a physicality and a size advantage in terms of height, but a physicality too. Like I had somebody slide into my DMs being like, why is nobody willing to talk about the refs rigging games? And it's like, no, they earned a lot of those free throws. Like Giannis overpowered anyone outside of Joel Embiid who they tried to throw on him, including your six foot 10 Ben Simmons. And there were a lot of those fouls were in transition where the Sixers were just wrapping them up. Uh, yeah. So, yep. yeah. But again, like you said, on a couple possessions, he just totally overwhelmed Destroyed Simmons, him. which is crazy because Simmons does that to everybody else in the league. So, yeah. He, he, he just, he got to wherever he wanted on the floor. Uh, when Ben Simmons, like he got deep post position, he dribbled back them down and had point-playing shots at the rim, and that's two games now where that's happened. Um, the Sixers really only had... The only real viable option they have to defend Giannis is Joel Embiid, and that's a real tough ask. You know, Joel Embiid actually defended him more last night than he did the previous game. I think he's defended him like 40 or 45 possessions in the previous matchup that it was 60 last night. I wa- or, I'm sorry, that was 51 last night. I wonder if that would be something like 60 in a playoff series because, I mean, it would... He's your only real option. The question then becomes, can you keep Joel out of foul trouble when that happens? And can you keep Joel where he has enough energy to be the team defender that you need and also the focal point of your offense that you need? And asking Joel to defend Giannis 60, 65 possessions a night 
and also do all of those other things is a that's a real tough ask. It, it was disappointing the defense because I think you know going into these last couple games we thought okay realistically I I honestly thought Simmons was going to be the primary defender against Giannis. I yep. again this was forever ago but that game in uh in November when they played I think Simmons was the primary defender and I you know I don't remember how Giannis did but I remember watching it and thinking okay that's that's fine uh and they they got killed because Brook Lopez made you know four footy uh, four forty footers so whatever. But he just is not viable, and it, it, it was cool last game when, when you saw. Okay, I think Embiid can guard him too a little bit, and you know maybe this is a decent matchup for the Sixers in that they can have two guys to throw on Giannis. Well, they don't. Uh, yeah. I Giannis is so strong, and with the way the Sixers guard, you know Milwaukee puts everybody in a bind this way in that they put four shooters around him, and the Sixers. I mean. It's kind of it turns it into a one-on-one game because, like against every other team that runs pick and roll or anything, the Sixers are really focused on uh, guarding that three-point line. They uh, they defend the three better than you know, in terms of both frequency and then percentage against. They defend it pretty well. And last night was the Bucks did not shoot it that well. And unlike the game in Milwaukee, I don't think they had like a ton of open threes that they bricked. I thought the Sixers guarded it well, but that puts so much pressure on uh, the person guarding Giannis. And I I don't know exactly what uh, Embiid's number. I don't have them in front of me. It, it was on my uh, piece on The Athletic. Go check that out if uh, if you haven't. Giannis's numbers were good when he was guarded against Embiid, but yep. I, I think Embiid does a good job against him. And, you know, that's yeah, he, kind of I the— I mean, Giannis shot 9 for 16 when Embiid guarded him. And the key to me is Giannis made— five free throws in 51 possessions when Embiid was a defender and what, four, seven, nine, 11 free throws in like maybe 25 possessions when anybody else on the team was defending him. So that, that really, I think showed the physical dominance that Giannis had when anybody other than Embiid, Ben Simmons included, like I said, four free throws made in like five minutes of play. It's just, it shows the advantage that the Bucks have. The uh and the missed shots don't even I, I don't think that perfectly uh encapsulates how Embiid played him because there were a few possessions where Giannis charged at Joel and just didn't shoot. And yeah. he kicked the ball out and somebody else had to take a nine one one shot at uh you know, at the end of the shot clock and you would credit that to Embiid because he stopped Giannis a couple times on those drives. I that as much as it's so weird to say that because Giannis has scored, what do you have, 45 last night? So he had 97 in the two games they've played this year. <laughs> uh, I, I do, I don't mind their strategy against them where you say, all right, we're going to let this guy eat and it's going to be a lot of points. But if we can just do a good job on the three point shooters and Joel can play well enough, uh, against Giannis, then then we have a chance because on the other end, Milwaukee gives up a lot of open threes. And I, I know the Sixers aren't going to shoot like they did in the two games against Milwaukee this year. But like J.J. Redick, when Brooke Lopez is way back by the basket, like yeah. Redick's going to – he's going to have a good series against those guys. Those those DHOs are are really good against, uh, against Milwaukee. And then, you know, Embiid, he'll have his own threes. But uh, I, I guess just quickly back to my original point, I'm worried about Ben – didn't guard Giannis well, and I think he took 
I think he played like 70 something minutes. He took like 11 or 12 or 13 shots against oh, the Bucks. Oh, two games. Yeah. yeah. I just just feels like uh he's not putting his thumbprint on the game as Brett would say. He's just not much of a factor and I know he picked up a bunch of assists last night, but I I just don't think that's going to cut it come the playoffs. No, and a lot of those assists were, you know, low Milwaukee value. Leaving three-point shooters open, yeah. That, and some of them were, um, were not open either, too. Some of them were like Mike Scott early three-point in the in the shot clock, but yeah. Right. No, there, there there's a reason that Joe had a, a career night in terms of assists, too. And part of it's that, that Embiid took good care of the ball and made some decent decisions, but part of it's that those are relatively easy kickout passes that um, the Sixers' three-point shooters made that Milwaukee is is very willing to give up. 13 yeah, did... assists to three turnovers for Joe. Yeah. Wow, yeah. he should throw a party for that. That is... that. is That's like the one thing that this team has been doing better lately that's legitimate is taking care of the basketball. And it also sort of shows that like taking care of the basketball isn't the only thing because this team is playing some of its worst basketball of the season. Not last night, because last night was, like you said, a, a, at least a tough, well-played game against a good team. But leading up to that point was uh, some dreadful basketball. It's a great point. It's not everything. And it's funny when you when you just like look up at the scoreboard during the game of, of pretty much all of their games now, both of the teams, their turnovers are in single digits at all times. Yeah. No, because this team does not, it just does not force turnovers. I mean, that that's what happens when you have two and a half positive defenders on your, your roster. All right, I'm works. not sure. Yeah, yeah. Good defenders help. Good defenders help. Anything else? Uh, we're approaching an hour, and I feel like this has been a dark enough podcast as it is, because this team could come out with uh, with their starting lineup intact and and blow through a first round series, and we could feel completely different. But there are concerns concerns that I am think could prop up into playoffs, or at least I'm a little worried about propping up into playoffs, and that they have shown all season. Uh, but we will see how it all shakes out. I, I think we can have a preview pod in between now and then where hopefully we're a little little less. Not quite as in the moment. Dark. I mean, look, these guys having, I, I think this has been an appropriate tone for how the last week has gone, even though we both admit that, you know, they could flip the switch. We we get it. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's uh <laughs> It is not. This team has not been a fun watch recently. I've had a, I've had a tweet saved up. Brett Brown is about to become the third coach in franchise history to have multiple fifty win seasons. I've we'll had see. that tweet in my drafts for a week now, um, and in fact, I, I I went and looked for it last night when the Sixers were up four late, and then by the time I reread the tweet and double checked the fact, Sixers were down four and the game was over. So I'll I'll take a I'll take blame on that one. It was not the horrible passes or the late turnovers, or George Hill's seven to one run or whatever it was. It was me trying to get some easy retweets um, because of, of more history being set. But sounds gotta, good. Got to do we a better will, job. I got to do a better job. At least the JJ Redick um, setting the three point record didn't didn't backfire in any way because that happened in the first quarter. You don't have to wait for the end of the game. But thank you for jumping on, Rich. We will talk to you soon. And uh, hopefully we have something a little more positive to talk about. All right, man.
is contacted, I attract clientele. My mic check is life or death, breathing the sniper's breath. I exhale the yellow smoke, a Buddha through righteousness.